Our passage is from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may be seated. This is God's word. We, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for uh, probably three months or maybe even longer than that, and we, during Lent, we uh, took a special emphasis on Jesus' teaching on prayer and fasting and forgiveness, uh, which really we just kind of slowed down a little bit and focused on, on those verses. But we're going to continue, and we will finish the Sermon on the Mount uh, before uh, Pentecost. Now, my, my idea, my reason for for preaching on this passage, on uh, these three chapters in Matthew that contain the Sermon on the Mount, uh, my reason was because I sensed that many Christians were losing the biblical vision of Christ and the Christian life. So my feeling was that for many of us, our vision of what it is to be a Christian and what it is to worship God and serve Him was changing, especially during uh, this past year or so. And so I thought that let's, let's reacquaint ourselves with who Jesus is and let's reacquaint ourselves with what the kingdom is and how we are to live as citizens of His kingdom here. That was my thinking of choosing this passage. Um, and I don't think there's any other passage that's better for this purpose. There are others maybe just as good, but there's, there's nothing better than the Sermon, the Sermon on the Mount to understand who Jesus is, the kind of king he is, and what his kingdom is like, and how we are to live in it. Now, the analogy I've, I've had in my, in my mind for this is, you know when your phone or your computer starts glitching, it's just really slow... Weird apps are there, you don't know, you don't remember downloading them. There are viruses. It's just not working the way it's supposed to work. Sometimes, and maybe that's the last resort, you reset it to factory settings. So you do a factory reset on your device. And what it does is, is, it, is it removes anything that's extra. And it just returns your device to its original intention. It allows it to get back to what it's actually made to do, and it gets rid of all these extra things that have obscured its purpose. And I think in my heart, this is, this is where I feel our church is, maybe the larger evangelical church is, is, is we need this kind of factory reset. It's my hope that all of us who study the Sermon on the Mount actually become reacquainted with who Jesus really is. 
and get rid of the apps, get rid of the viruses, get rid of all those things that have obscured our vision of the kind of Lord and King He is. And as we restore a clear biblical vision of who He is, we will also know, we will learn how to be His disciples, how to follow Him, and how to live as citizens of His kingdom. In particular, as we look at this passage, <clears throat> you will hear me talk a lot about temporal and eternal and preferring the temporal to the eternal. I have seen that. I've struggled with that. Many of us have gone through that tension of preferring something transient and by doing that, sacrificing something of eternal value. I think every church, through the time of COVID, through the time of political campaigns, through the time of social unrest, has gone through that, that stress of, of trying to figure out what is really important. What is my real priority here? And, and what can I sacrifice to keep this priority? And I'm afraid to say that not all of us have made the right choices. And so I want us to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to go back to Jesus' clear teachings of what it is to live as a citizen of an eternal kingdom in the temporal circumstances of this life. And today we are looking specifically at the treasures, at the, the priorities, at, at what's really important for our hearts. And I'd like us to look at our text under three headings. Number one, let's consider the heart and its treasures. The heart and its treasures. Number two, let's consider the two kinds of treasures our hearts can be attached to. There are two kinds. And finally, let's look at the greatest treasure and the best master. The greatest tre treasure and the best master. All right. Verse 21, I think that's the, that's, the, that's the key to this whole passage. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is connecting our hearts to our treasures. He's saying our hearts are attached to our treasures. Now, a treasure isn't just something that we find valuable, it is an object toward which our heart is oriented. A treasure is anything that our heart desires, our heart longs for, our heart wants to protect, something that our heart is attached to, it's, it's glued to that. That's our treasure. Now in verse 24, Jesus compares our heart's treasure to a master we love and serve. The same idea it's just different metaphors. One metaphor is a treasure we value. Another metaphor is a master we serve and love and, and commit our lives to. Same thing. Whatever our heart values, whatever our heart serves, is what Jesus is talking about. And the truth of, of human nature is that we can't help but treasure something. We can't help but serve a master can't help but worship something. You know, Bob Dylan was right. You remember that song, right? Or did you understand what, what he said? I have a hard time understanding sometimes what he says, but I think he said, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to have a master. You're going to have to love something. You're going to have to treasure something in life. You're going to have to worship something. 
It's inescapable for a human being. You have to have a treasure. You have to have a master. Dallas Willard says, everyone has treasures. This is an essential part of what it is to be human. To have nothing that one treasures is to be in a non-human condition. And nothing degrades people more than to scorn or destroy or deprive them of their treasures. The human heart is created with the ability to worship, the ability to admire, the ability to cherish. In fact, I think the human heart is created with the necessity to do that, with the necessity to to admire, to worship, and cherish. Now, I quoted Dylan. Let me quote the 17th century Scottish theologian. We'll go a little bit back here. Henry Scougal wrote, The soul of man is created... The soul of man is of a vigorous and active nature and has in it a raging and unextinguishable thirst, an immaterial kind of fire, always catching at some object or other in conjunction wherewith it thinks to be happy. What Skugel is saying is that the very nature of our soul, our mind, or our heart, our inner being, has that tendency and a desire, in fact, of a drive to find an object to connect to, to find something in which we will look for our happiness. Every human heart looks to attach itself to something or someone in hope of finding happiness. And your heart's happiness or misery is determined by your heart's treasure. Whatever your treasure is, it's either going to make you happy or it's going to make you miserable. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to start with the basics here. Our hearts always have treasures, and the treasures of our hearts make us either happy or miserable. Okay, now Jesus tells us that there are two kinds of treasures. One kind can, in fact, bring us happiness, and the other will eventually, maybe not immediately, but will eventually bring us misery. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, what's the contrast here? Some treasures, Jesus says, are perishable, and others are imperishable. Some are transient, temporary, and others are enduring, eternal. Some are earthly treasures, and others are heavenly treasures. So Jesus says, do not attach your heart to treasures that can easily be destroyed or taken away. But do attach your heart to treasures that will always be there. Now let me point out to two other passages in Scripture to give us maybe a bigger context or a fuller picture of what Jesus is saying. This is a teaching throughout the Scriptures. Colossians 3, 1-4 says this. Colossians 3, 1-4. If then you have been raised with Christ... 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Same contrast. You can focus on things below, transient things, or you can focus on things above, eternal things, and will Christ, when he will appear, all these treasures will actually be fully ours in glory. So there's a future aspect of this. And then 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Now this talks more specifically about riches and wealth, which is what Jesus is partly addressing in Matthew 6. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now notice how many parallels there are with what Jesus is saying. There's the uncertain riches, and then there are eternal riches. There's real life, and there's this kind of pretend life. There are things you can kind of trust, but they will disappoint you, and there are things you can trust that will never disappoint you, and will be fully realized one day when Jesus returns. Now, both passages focus on, on our life with God, which is the eternal life, the kingdom, and so the biblical exhortation is to set our hearts not on the uncertain and short-lived riches, but on the enduring and eternal riches that are found in God, and they will be included in our eternal life with Him forever. That's the contrast. Now sometimes you read this passage and you think, earth and heaven, and that could be misunderstood. Some people think earth just means you know, physical, material things, and then heaven is the kind of the spiritual, sacred things. I don't think Jesus is condemning the physical and commending the spiritual, or he's condemning the secular and commending the sacred. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I don't think he's saying avoid anything pertaining to normal life and just be hyper-religious. I don't think that's the message. In biblical thought, the earth is the realm of humanity in rebellion to God. That's what the earth is. It's, it's a realm of humanity where we rule, where the enemy rules, in rebellion, in opposition to God. And heaven is the realm of God's uncontested rule. God rules completely in heaven, and we oppose him on earth. Those are the two realms that Scripture talks to us about. That's why we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The assumption is, in heaven, complete will. On earth, his will is becoming greater and greater. So a helpful way to think about this contrast is, is to, to juxtapose the kingdom of God, which is often called the kingdom of heaven, with the world, which is the kingdom of this world. Now, this is the framework of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells his disciples that we are to live as citizens of his kingdom, citizens of heaven, while still living in the world. That's the tension. That's our context. We're citizens of heaven. We belong to another kingdom. 
Our values are heavenly values. Our king is a heavenly king. And yet we live here. We live in this world. But we live as citizens of another world. This kingdom of heaven has broken in already through the mission of Jesus, through his appearing, through his death, through his resurrection. The kingdom of heaven is already here. Remember, Jesus began preaching in, in Matthew 4. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's already coming. However, his kingdom has not be, been fully realized yet. And that's why both the Colossians 3 passage and 1 Timothy 6 passage looks forward, looks toward the future, the full realization of his kingdom. Until the king comes in glory, we are to live on earth with a decidedly heavenly perspective. That means that we are to focus on, we are to pursue, we are to prioritize things that belong to the kingdom of heaven and will be ours in eternity. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth in the realm of rebellion against God, in the transient temporary realm, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It says, these things will not be in eternity. So don't invest too much of your time and effort in them, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where earthly things cannot affect them. Neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, invest in eternal treasures, treasures in heaven, and do not invest in transient treasures, treasures on earth. Now the obvious example, and this is the example of Jesus in our passage, is money, is wealth, is possessions. Money belongs to this world. It's an earthly treasure. It's not evil. There's nothing wrong with money per se, but it is not enduring. It's just for here. It's just for now. It's to be used at this time. If you live to accumulate money, you have set your heart on something that will inevitably disappear. If the market doesn't crash or someone else doesn't steal it from you, death will certainly claim it. Money, wealth, possessions are transient, temporal things. And if you set your heart on transient things, they will break your heart. Of course they will. Now, preachers tell this story often. I'll tell you that. Maybe you heard it before. There was a miser who was dying. And all his life he heard that you can't take your money with you. But he said, I'm going to try. So he found three respectable friends, a minister, a lawyer, and a doctor. That's where all the jokes begin, I think. <laughs> and he told them, I'm going to each give you an envelope full of cash, and when I die, and the casket is open, I want you to throw it in there so they can close the casket and bury me with my money. So he gave 30000 to the lawyer, he gave 30000 to the doctor, and he gave 30000 to the minister. Well, he died funeral is happening, the casket is open, and the three friends come, and they all throw an envelope in the casket. And then on the way home from the funeral service, the minister feels guilty, his conscience is bothering him, and he says, guys, I did a terrible thing. I actually took 10000 out of that 30000 and we spent it on a new kitchen at church. We just really needed... <laughs> Clifton is laughing. <laughs> 
there's not even a punchline yet, but he's, like, he's already in. Minister says, you know, we really need a new kitchen, so I thought, you know, maybe that's a better use of this money. But the 20000 I, I threw in the casket. And then, of course, the doctor says, you know, I did a terrible thing, too. Since you brought it up, you know, I, I'll, I'll confess as well. I took 20000 out of the thirty. And I actually spent it on the clinic. There was a poor neighborhood I'm ministering in, and I just felt like we really could use a clinic, and that was the money that was needed, so I just used it. But the 10000 I, I put in the casket. And of course, it gets to the lawyer, and he says, you guys, shame on you. He says, shame on you. I wrote a check for the whole amount and put it in the, in the casket. <laughs> I think there's a whole generation that doesn't get the joke because you don't use checks anymore. But somebody has to cash the check for the money to come out of your account. That's a, that's a silly, right, simple illustration that things that belong to this life, they're not transferable to the other life. You really can't take it with you. You really can't have something now and then have it in eternity, something like money. But there are things... There are realities, there are activities that do matter, that are enduring, and that are, in fact, transferable. So what are these treasures in heaven? The best way to determine if something is an earthly or a heavenly treasure is to ask this question, simple question. Will it endure beyond this life? Will it endure beyond this life? I'll do some work for you today, but I want you to do more work on your own, okay? Seek the scriptures to understand what is already here that will endure in eternity. And then attach your heart to these treasures. Now, let me give you some examples. I'll do a little bit of this work for you today. Let's talk about work, for example, your career. Most of us spend much of our time working spending time on our career. Is it an earthly or a heavenly treasure? If your job is a means to wealth, to accumulation of wealth, it's an earthly treasure because your wealth will not endure. If your job is a path to gain approval from others, you'll have treasures on earth. Why? Well, because Scripture tells us that in the kingdom, both now and in eternity, your approval comes from God. And it's not based on your perceived value to your company or your perceived achievements in your work. The wealth you accumulate here will not simply won't just be there in eternity. However, work itself is an enduring aspect of the kingdom. Search the Scriptures see what will remain, work will remain. There will be work in eternity. We will be ruling God's world, we will be representing God's purposes, and we'll be reflecting His care and creativity in His creation. So if you do that in your work now, you are, in fact, laying up treasures in heaven. This is why your choice of career is very important. Because you can do something in your career now that you will say, this will remain. These skills I'm acquiring now will actually remain in eternity. The good I'm doing right now, the shalom I'm bringing to my community now will be very similar to the shalom that I will experience in eternity. So this is right for me to invest my heart in this now. 
But there are other jobs, there are other circumstances where you would say, no, this will not endure. This does not reflect God's purposes. It doesn't reflect his creativity and care. It's not doing good for the world. So this is not a job for me. This is not a career for me. And if I set my heart on that, my heart will be broken. Now, how about worship? Easy one. Will worship endure? Absolutely. Your relationship with God will continue in eternity. It's happening now, but it will continue into eternity. Will worship in the new heaven and new earth? If you invest in knowing God now, you are in fact laying up treasures in heaven. Knowing and worshiping God is an enduring treasure, which also means that helping others know God, helping others grow in their relationship with Him is laying up treasures in heaven. I mean, this certainly includes ministry, both professional and lay ministry. It's good to be involved in evangelism. It's good to tell people about Jesus, to introduce them to the king. It's good to serve others, to show Christ's love to them. It's good to teach Sunday school, to teach Bible studies, to lead prayer meetings, because all of that fits into the relationship with God that will continue into eternity. That's enduring. And what happens now will matter in eternity. But it's not only about ministry. It should affect all of our relationships. You see, every relationship, if seen through the lens of the enduring treasure, of the treasure in heaven, will be in heaven. It will be enduring. It will be transferable. Those realities will be there. And so as you think about friendships, as you think about coworkers, as you think about neighbors, and you think about it from the perspective of eternity, all of that becomes very important. Not transient, but really important. Now let's talk about family. If you are preparing your children for success in the world and you're tying your happiness to that, you are laying up treasures on earth. Jesus said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So if your child gets into the best college, wins a championship, gets all the scout badges and trophies, becomes financially secure. So what? Jesus says, so what? None of that endures. None of that endures. But if your child follows Jesus, whatever his circumstances are in life, if he sacrifices all his possessions, even his life for him, That's what a Christian parent glories in. It's difficult because every parent wants their child to be happy. But the true happiness comes from that child laying up treasures in heaven, doing things that are enduring, even if it means the loss of life, even if it means the loss of possessions, the loss of relationships, even if it means all of that. A Christian parent should say, this is better. This is what I want for my child. I don't want just a happy, comfortable, wealthy life for them. I want them to walk with Christ. And I want them to walk with Christ into eternity. And do now what will matter in eternity. Don't let the temporal rob you of the eternal. That's the message of Jesus here. Don't let the temporal, don't let the transient rob you of the eternal. 
We have to look at our lives and we have to analyze. We have to be introspective. We have to be careful to look at our lives and ask these difficult questions. Are these treasures enduring treasures or is just transient stuff that's going to be gone? It's going to be burnt up. Am I investing my heart? Is my heart's treasure a real treasure that will make me happy forever? Or is it just a temporal thing right now? Just a little thing that maybe give me a moment of pleasure, but in the long run, it will mean nothing. Are you investing in the enduring treasures or are you investing in transient treasures? Now, to, to, to answer that, you need to have a clear picture of what the kingdom is, of what the eternal state is, of what will remain. So read your Bible to get it. And then adjust your life to the picture you see in Scripture. Now, when I read this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, I am struck by how kind it is of Jesus to warn us not to attach our hearts to perishable treasures. This is what what I've been thinking all week as I'm, I'm working on this text. I'm thinking how kind it is of Jesus to tell me to not put my trust, to not put my hope, to not attach my heart to these transient treasures. You know, some people think God is a cruel God, that God is a, a God who wants to kill your joy, who wants you not to be happy with anything, not to enjoy anything in life. That's why he has so many rules. That's why he, he tells you not to do all these things. But that is completely opposite. The truth is completely opposite. God, who is a good father, looks at his children, and he says, let me help you, let me protect you, let me warn you about the dangers of this world. So I will tell you, don't do this because it will break your heart. And he tells you to do that. A good father, a good mother, will do that for their children. It's a bad mother, it's a bad father who says, do whatever you want, I don't care. Whatever makes you happy, is, is a terrible phrase to say to your child because they don't know what happiness is. And so God being a good father, Jesus being a good king, tells us, let me warn you about things that will break your hearts and let me protect you from that. And so he tells us, don't set your hearts on transient things because they will be destroyed, they will disappear, they will be stolen, they'll be taken away. And eventually you will be left with nothing. Instead, invest your heart. Treasure things that are eternal. So your heart will stay intact and you will find happiness. This is a pivot here. I'm going to talk about Khloe Kardashian for a while, okay? It's easy to make a joke about the Kardashians. I won't do that. Because I think... What we see in the, in, the, in the public spectacle of their lives, we see the tragedy of the human condition. Khloe Kardashian just recently tried to get an unfiltered and what she considered to be an unflattering photo of herself, which she said was posted by mistake. She, she tried to remove it from social media. Lots of legal actions, lots of arguing, lots of telling you can't do that, that's my property, and it kind of got heated there for a while. 
She didn't want this picture to be public. She didn't want people to see her in this particular way, without filters, without touch-ups. She didn't want other people to see her that way. And she said, and again, let's not laugh at this, but let's hear the pain in her voice. Because I think the pain is real. I don't think this is, this is publicity. I think she's really feeling what she's saying. She says, in truth, the pressure, constant ridicule, and judgment my entire life to be perfect and to meet other standards of how I should look has been too much to bear. She says, I'm not going to lie. It's almost unbearable trying to live up to the impossible standards that the public have, set, have all set for me. For over a decade now in photos, every single flaw and imperfection has been microanalyzed and made fun of to the smallest detail, and I'm reminded of them every day by the world. You never quite get used to being judged and pulled apart and told how unattractive one is. But I will say, if you hear anything enough, then you start to believe it. This is an example of how, I've been, how I have been conditioned to feel that I am not beautiful enough just being me. What we have here is a broken heart. Khloe Kardashian set her heart on the uncertainty of physical beauty, on a social media brand, on fame tied to appearance, and now her heart is broken. She's hurting because her treasures are being eaten by moths and stolen by thieves. Don't let the temporal rob you of the eternal. Now, I've saved verses 22 and 23 to the end because I want to show you how this part fits into the puzzle. This is the most serious part of this because it has the greatest warning to us. Notice that 22 and 23 are in the context of talking about earthly treasures and serving money as our master. It's sandwiched between those two ideas, earthly treasures that will disappear and serving money as our master. And Jesus says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now what is he talking about? I mean, you have to agree, it's a little confusing, isn't it? He's talking about possessions, temporal possessions. He's talking about serving money. And then in the middle, he ta he's talking about the eye and the body and the light and dark. He's teaching us that our vision of life can be distorted by our attachment to earthly treasures. So just as if you have a physical problem with your eyesight, your vision of everything else around you will be distorted. Just not enough light coming in through your eye, in Jesus' language, to, to make you aware of what's around you. And this problem will not only destroy your life, it will also affect your whole body. You'll not be able to function the way you're supposed to function. So what Jesus is saying is that the spiritual vision is distorted by your heart's attachment to the wrong kind of treasure. When Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, the word healthy can be translated generous. That's how it's translated in Romans 12, 8. 
He's saying if your eye is generous, in other words, if you're not attached to the earthly possessions, to earthly treasures, if you are free from that attachment, that means your whole life will be different. You will have a better picture of what it is to live with God. You'll be able to see God. You'll be able to function under His rule. Attachment to transient treasures can blind us to the ultimate treasure and the right vision of life. Hearts shaped by earthly treasures cannot see God. Now, a great example of that is the the rich young ruler in, in Luke 18. Remember the young man that comes to Jesus and he says, I've done all these things, I've followed the the rules and the laws. And Jesus says, you just need to do one more thing. Just give up your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And he cannot do that. Why can't he do that? His heart is so attached to the earthly possessions that he's preferring earthly transient things to the eternal happiness with God. He's making that choice because he's blind to the reality of what Jesus is saying to him. And he walks away sad. He's walking away sad because his treasure, the treasures of his heart, will make him sad in the end. It cannot make him eternally happy. Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You have to pick. And if your heart is attached to money, if your heart is attached to approval, if your heart is attached to worldly success, if your heart is there, your vision of God is obscured. Your vision of the true life, the true happiness is obscured. It's distorted. It's dark. And the longer your heart remains attached to those earthly things, the darker it will get. You cannot set your heart on earthly treasures and expect to be spiritually healthy enough to see God and to love Him and to serve Him, to be devoted to Him. It is simply impossible. Eventually, the spiritual light will go out altogether. And Jesus says, how great is the darkness. This, is, this has to this, this has to sound to us as one of the gravest warnings in Scripture. That Jesus says, how great is the darkness. When the light goes out, when your spiritual eyesight becomes dimmer and dimmer, eventually it will go out altogether. And all you will have left is a great darkness. Without any light of God, Without any real life, it's just misery. The Bible has another word for this state. It's called hell. This is what hell is. Hell is the absence of light. That's why it's described in these terms, in in the terms of the, the darkness that never goes away, the gnashing of teeth that never stops, the worm that never dies. All those all those metaphors for hell, they tell us that. God's light isn't there. God's treasures are not there. It's just the stuff that has disappeared. So how can our spiritual sight be restored? How can we be healed from our unhealthy attachment to earthly treasures? What can break that love? What can break that service of a bad master? We need to see the ultimate treasure, and we need to bow before the best master.
And who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate treasure. Jesus is the best master. He's our greatest treasure. Why? Because he has eternal value that actually was tested by death itself. We've just celebrated the resurrection. One of the meanings of the resurrection is that Jesus was haunted by death, he was assaulted by death, he really died, but death couldn't hold him. You see, the eternity of Jesus could not be affected even by death itself. Oh, the moth and the rust tried to get him. The enemy tried to steal his life from him, but death could not hold on to our Lord. God did not let his Holy One see corruption, which means that Jesus is the the kind of treasure that is imperishable, it's incorruptible, it will always be there, it will always last. There's an eternal quality to him like no other thing or person in the world. God raised him up from the dead so he can live and rule forever. His kingdom, we are told, is an everlasting kingdom. It doesn't end. It doesn't stop. It always continues. Jesus is the first and the last, the living one. He says he died, and behold, he is alive forevermore. He's the eternal treasure that can restore our spiritual sight. If you fix your eyes on him, if you see him for what he, what he is, his eternal beauty, his incorruptible eternity, if you see him with your spiritual sight, that is conversion. That is healing. That is repentance. That is how we can break our attachment to earthly things. He is the best master, the best king. Why? Because he gave his life so that you can be in his eternal kingdom. He will always rule you well. He will never fail you. He will never disappoint you. He will never break your heart. I'm going to end with this passage from Revelation 21, and then we'll we'll pray and come to the table. But I want you to hear me read this and get a picture of the kingdom, the vision that will help you understand what's eternal and what's temporal, what's earthly, what's heavenly, to get the picture of the Savior, the picture of the ultimate treasure, the picture of the best master, and then you adjust your life to that. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, no darkness. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Because if you don't have him as your greatest treasure, as your ultimate treasure, you can't see the other treasures. You're blinded. Is he your ultimate master, your ultimate king? Because if you don't serve him, you can't serve anybody else well. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life?